Well, hey, 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 Summit Church, you guys doing okay? Awesome, awesome, awesome. So today we're wrapping up this series we've been doing on the miracles of Jesus. And a special welcome to all of you who joined us online. We're so honored that you chose to spend uh, your time with us today. So hopefully this message will be encouraging to you as well. So like I said, we're wrapping up this whole series. We've been looking at a lot of the miracles, the life of Jesus and the life of Jesus that he did. We've been talking through all the different ways that there's application for you and I to be able to apply uh, some of these principles that come from these miracles. And we've even talked about at the beginning, we talked about how God is the same God of over 2,000 years ago when he walked the earth and he did these miracles, he's the same God and he just might do a miracle for you or for me even today. So today we're looking at one of my favorite miracles because it has to do with a lot of food, right? And I love food, as you can probably tell. I love, love food. So we're looking at uh, that miracle today. But to kind of get everybody on the same page, I want to start off this morning by asking everybody a question. All of you joining online, make sure you participate with us here. So how many of you guys have ever been in a situation where you, there was a problem or the situation was so big that you thought, man, I don't even know where I would get started if someone tasked me with doing something about this situation. You ever felt that way? Like, man, this is a big, big deal. If, if I were tasked to do something for this, I, I don't even know if I would have the ability to do anything. Maybe you think I, I wouldn't have the resources, I wouldn't have the time, I wouldn't have the energy to be able to do anything about this. Maybe for you, some of you people, it's uh, maybe you guys are like, that's the honeydew list that my wife continues to make at home for me, right? Like she just keeps adding to this list and I'm like, man, this list is getting longer and longer and more and more overwhelming. I don't know who she thinks I am, but I can't possibly do anything with this list. It just keeps getting longer and longer. Maybe it's a project, maybe at work. Maybe you've been given another project, you just finished one project and the boss is like, hey, look, we need you working on this project. It has to be done by Friday. And you're just like, are you serious right now? I, I don't even know where to get started. I, would, I just wanted to take a breath from the last project I just finished, right? Maybe for high school, middle school students, college students, any of those in here? Yeah, just a few of you. Maybe for you, it's like a project that your professor or your teacher has assigned to you to get done, and they break the news that this project is going to account for 99.9% .9 of your grade this semester. <laughs> You're like, really? Right? You guys remember research papers? Can I, can I just have an old person moment for just a second? <laughs> Listen, you teenagers, you students, when you get a research paper these days, you got it easy. Let me tell you what a research paper used to be, right? You remember in college when you had to go and pull an actual all-nighter at the library and you would research all night long reading through like 50 books to get like a paragraph that may work? And, and maybe you put in all that energy and you're like, man, I still haven't found anything. Today, you guys can just Google a topic and you got like five zillion things that you can work with. But maybe for you, it is, it is that. Maybe it's a, it's a project that you have come and do that you're just like, man, I wouldn't even know where to get started. This is, this is very overwhelming to me. Maybe it's government. Maybe it's public schools. Maybe it's education. A lot of times I think we think when we think of a big problem that we can't personally solve, we think of maybe natural disasters. Right, a natural disaster is like, you know, I remember back when the tornadoes hit over in Greensboro uh, just a few months ago, we sent some teams over there. Uh, to be able to help, you know, we brought in all of our food trailers and we were feeding people out of these trailers and we were walking around these communities, helping them get started on the cleanup. But I can remember seeing it on 
the people's faces. You know, they, they've worked their entire lives to get all the things that they've collected, their clothing, photographs, all these things, and one tornado comes through, and now all their stuff is scattered all over their yard, all over their community, and you can just see it on their face like, I don't even know where I'm going to begin. How do I possibly start over from this? I remember my very first trip to Africa. It was back in 2010. I came on in 2009 here uh, as the missions pastor at the Summit Church, and uh, we were looking to start sending mission teams overseas, and so I was taking our very first trip, our very first team over to Burkina Faso, West Africa, and I remember thinking as I was preparing to go, you know, you look at pictures, you watch videos, you do all these things that hopefully is going to prepare you for what you're going to experience. And we flew in late at night, and our luggage literally got carried off of these planes, these big planes coming out of France, and they, they bring our luggage in on cattle carts. I'm not kidding you. They bring their luggage in on cattle carts, and then we pack into a van, and we go back to the place that we're staying for the night. And I remember the next day waking up and seeing Africa for the very first time through daylight. And I remember as we walked through these villages, these communities, you could see just the people who were dealing with hunger and financial poverty like you and I have never experienced. There was no video, there was no picture that could have ever prepared me for what I was seeing. And I remember thinking and having this overwhelming feeling like, how in the world are we going to get started? I mean, we were a pretty good-sized church by this point, but, you know, we're on the other side of the world. How can we possibly put a dent in what the magnitude of this problem that is facing us today? Now, fast forward years later, we're putting a pretty good dent into not only Burkina Faso, but God is doing amazing things through our mission teams down in Nicaragua as well. And God's just doing phenomenal things. But we had to figure out a way of moving past this overwhelming feeling of what are we going to do to actually doing something. And what we found is that through incredible partnerships, partnerships like Compassion International. I don't know if you've ever heard about Compassion International. But it's a phenomenal, phenomenal nonprofit. And their whole mission and their vision is to find a kid who's hungry, in need, and they want to partner that child up with somebody else, even if it's across the other side of the world, who can do something to meet that kid's need. And here's the cool thing about compassion. Maybe you're just like, man, I, I don't know if I believe in all that. I can tell you I've seen it firsthand. Compassion International is the real deal. And here's the cool thing. If you decide that you want to maybe sponsor a child, adopt a child that's living in Africa or down in Nicaragua where we send teams, not only can you write letters and send letters to them, but when we send teams, if you ever want to go with one of those teams, you would have the incredible opportunity to actually meet your child. I had the incredible opportunity to meet uh, my child uh, over in Africa three times, and as well as in Nicaragua, we have a kid down there as well. I can tell you, Compassion International is the real deal. But this is the perfect example of where there was this overwhelming feeling of, what are we going to do? And we had to decide to move past this numbing feeling of what are we going to do to I'm going to take a step to do something. And that's exactly what we're going to talk about today because there's a story in the Bible. You've probably heard it before. But the story in the Bible, the disciples felt much like you and I feel when we had that overwhelming feeling of, man, this is such a big, big deal. How in the world am I going to do anything about this? 
Let me kind of give you the backstory of what's going on. So Jesus and his disciples, they're traveling all over the place, right? Jesus is in full swing of his ministry. He's traveling around teaching. He's doing miracles. He's doing all these things. And now, as you can imagine, people are hearing about this guy named Jesus. I mean, can you imagine hearing about a guy up in Stokesdale that is basically taking people who was blind and being able to give them the ability to see? Taking people who couldn't walk, been crippled all their life, and giving them the ability to walk? What would you do? I mean, there would be nothing that would stop you to get to Stokesdale to see this guy. And that's exactly what was happening. Is now there's these huge crowds that are starting to form. Everybody's hearing about him. If they have sickness in maybe their family or their friends or their neighbors, they're doing everything in their power to get them to Jesus because they believed that if they could get him to Jesus, that Jesus just might be able to do something about it. Now, as you can imagine, as these crowds are getting bigger and bigger, the need for Jesus to be available was getting greater and greater and greater. And Jesus and the disciples are coming off maybe three or four days of just, I mean, they're just teaching like crazy. They're doing miracles. It's, it's phenomenal. And people are wanting to get with him all the time. It's like needy, 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 needy. Jesus, can you do this? Can you do this? Jesus, can you do that? And Jesus and the disciples are at a point where like, man, we, we just need a little bit of a break. You ever been there before? Parents? Amen, right? You're like, when school start back, right? You know what I mean? So they were like, man, we just need a little bit of a break from all this. So the disciples come to Jesus and like, look, Jesus, this is all great, but we, we really need to get away, just, you know, just the, the few of us and kind of recoup, maybe catch up on America's Got Talent, whatever it's going to be, Jesus. We, we just need to have a little time away to kind of energize ourselves, right? Kind of refuel ourselves. So now they're in this remote area, this remote village, and there's a problem. It's because they're, they're so far away from everything, and the disciples discover that there's a huge problem, that everybody is extremely hungry, and there's no food available. When I say no food, I mean there isn't a cookout in sight. There isn't a Dario in sight. There's no, like, give me two hot dog specials. You know what I'm saying? It was so far out, Jimmy John's didn't even deliver this far. I'm just saying it's, it's that kind of far out. They're out in the remote area. And the disciples are like, Jesus, you know what I'm saying? We just need you to send these people away. Get rid of this problem, Jesus. But see, Jesus had a different plan. Much like all the other stories of Jesus, he would see a need, and he didn't always address every single need, but in this situation, Jesus had compassion. He had compassion on the problem. He saw the hunger of the people that he was speaking to, and he had compassion on them. So Jesus is like, we got to do something. And the disciples are like, no, 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 you got to do something, Jesus. We don't know what to do. But here's what happened, and I think this is where it starts to apply to us, is that Jesus looks at the problem, and he says, you feed them. Says the disciples, hey, yeah, it's a big problem, but you feed them. You do something about this issue. See, just like you and I, we look at the problem, we go, hey, Jesus, we need you to do something. But Jesus looked at the disciples and he's looking to us and saying, hey, but you can do something about that problem. But here's what happens. The disciples, just like you and me, they started making excuses. Like, what? Jesus, are you serious? Have you seen the size of this crowd? Everybody's hungry. There's nothing available, Jesus. We need you just to get rid of the problem. Check this out. They're like, Jesus, with what? They asked. We'd have to work for months to earn enough money to buy food for all of these people. Jesus says, how much bread do you have? He asked. Go 
and find out. So Jesus is not only, he says, hey, you feed them. They come back with all these excuses. And he says, but wait a second, stop. What do you have? What do you have available? Go and find out. Now, the disciples, they go out into the crowd. Now, let me put things in perspective for you, okay? It was 5,000 men that were counted in the presence there, right? Okay, so there's 5,000 men. And then there's women and children, because in that time, they weren't counted. It was just the men, right? So we're going to come back to that in a minute. But here's the cool thing about that. It was actually the person that wasn't counted that gave the ingredients for the miracle for Jesus to do what he even did. We're going to see that it was a child. So if you ever feel like, man, I, I'm just not, I'm not one of those that is counted. A lot of people discount me. Take hope that Jesus can do things through you as well, just like he did in this story. So there's, there's estimated with the men, women, and children that there's somewhere between 15,000 and 20,000 people, okay? Let me put things in perspective. Anybody ever been to the Lawrence Joel Coliseum? Maybe been over there for a concert? Yeah, you, maybe you went and saw the deacons play back when we were good, right? You're like, now they can't even get 100 people to come watch it. But to put things in perspective, the Lawrence Joel Coliseum seats 14,500 people. So imagine if every single seat at the Lawrence Joel Coliseum is packed. That place is packed out. And you're one of the 12 disciples that have been tasked to go out amongst that big of a crowd and find out what is available to be able to feed all these people. Now, put yourself in the perspective of you're one of the 15,000 people. Can you imagine the disciples coming up to those people? They don't have a megaphone or a microphone, so they're having all these one-on-one -on -one conversations. And they're saying, hey, we're one of the disciples. You might have seen us before. We're with Jesus, you know. And uh, so we know everybody's hungry. This is a really big, big problem and all that kind of stuff. But Jesus has sent us out to find out, you know, if anybody's got any food. Now, imagine you're one of the 15,000. Let's just say you, you maybe had a bologna sandwich in your pocket that you were saving, right? Do you think you would give it up? You think you would look at the size of the crowd and you would say, I got this bologna sandwich, but it ain't possibly going to do anything for the magnitude of this problem. So I, th I think I'm going to hold on to that. Can you imagine, like, honey, you got anything? No, we ain't got anything. No, we ain't got anything. Andrew, you got to go on to somebody else, right? We don't have anything to offer here, nothing to see here kind of thing. We can't, we can't help you. And because a lot of people looked and they felt what they had in their pocket and they thought it wasn't enough, they did nothing. Because we think, just like you and I, we think that we can't do everything, just like the disciples, we do nothing. Instead of doing the one thing that would activate the something, and in this case, the miracle. See, a lot of times we look at the problem, we, we see the things that we're facing, these big, big issues, and we go, I can't possibly do enough, so we do nothing. We don't do anything. But just like in this situation, it took something. Here's what happened. Andrew speaks up and says, hey, I found, I found a young boy. I found a young boy, and guess what? He's got five loaves of bread, and he's got two fish. You imagine everybody looking at Andrew like, are you serious, dude? We're trying to feed 15,000 people here. You're going to come back to us with five loaves of bread and two fish? What's that going to do? But Jesus says, ding, 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 ding. I finally have something now that I can work with. I have something now that I can actually do something with because Jesus 
can do incredible things. He takes our excuses. He takes our not enoughs. And he is the person who can do the impossible, the things that we go, it's never going to work. He starts by saying, I can do this. I can take what you've given me and I can do something with it. Now, where Jesus starts with when he gets the five loaves and the two fish, we would go, well, that's never going to be enough. And we would make excuses for why it's not enough. But what Jesus did is what I think he wants us to begin to do in situations that we face, we're faced with. Jesus gives thanks for what he has. Too often, you and I, we look at an issue and all we do is we, we just make excuses. We say, man, you know, if, if I made a little bit more money than I could possibly do this, if I just had a little bit more time left over the end of the week, I could probably do this. Or I could, I could help with that if only this. We give our excuses. But what Jesus did is he gave thanks. He gave thanks that was for the one thing that was already not enough. Listen, Mark 6, 41. Here's what it says. Jesus took the five loaves and the two fish. He looked up toward heaven and he blessed them. And then breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread to the disciples so that they could distribute it to the people. He also divided the fish for everyone to share. Now, don't miss this. They, what's that word? What's that word? They all ate as much as they wanted. And afterwards, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftover bread and fish, a total of 5,000 men and their families were fed that day. Now, I don't know about you guys, but if I go to a restaurant and I order some food and I got enough that fills me completely up, all that I want, and then there's leftovers, I'm going back to that restaurant. I'm just saying, I mean, that's a good value in my opinion, right? But what I don't want you to miss out on is this word, all. They all ate. And the question for you is this. Do you think the word all included the little boy who gave his five loaves and two fish? Do you think the word all ate as much as they wanted included him? Of course it did. All is all-encompassing. See, what you and I think a lot of times is that, it, that what society teaches is that you got to hold on to what you have because there might be a rainy day coming, Right? Jesus, I can't possibly give up this to feed all these people because I got to hold on to what I have. Because we think if we give up what we have, then we miss out. But what Jesus is teaching here, the principle that I think he wants us to learn is that when we give what we have, not only does he take care of everything that you need and what I need and what that boy needed, but he's also able to take care of the needs of others. He's also able to do what we never could have saw possible. See, we give excuses, Jesus gives thanks. And then he blesses it and he multiplies it. And here's what I believe. I believe if we begin to be the kind of church that we bring our not enoughs to the God of more than enoughs, we bring our not enoughs, our excuses of this is never gonna be enough to the God who is able to do more than enough, then we're gonna learn what it's like to completely trust God. 
We're gonna learn what it's like to completely trust him with everything that we have. And see, I believe that whatever issue you're facing, whatever thing that you think, oh, that's too big of a problem, I believe the ingredients for the miracle is in your midst. I believe it's just like it was then. It was right in the midst of the 15,000 people. But see, God can't multiply what we don't recognize. God can't multiply what you and I don't recognize and what we don't begin giving thanks to him that he's already given us. And here's the bottom line. It's that Jesus can do big things with the small things that we offer him. Now, when you read that and you hear small things, you think, oh, it's too small. Let me, let me just make sure I, make sure I uh, explain this, okay? Small things does not mean small sacrifice. Small things means when we look at the grand scheme of the big problem, a lot of times we go, what we have is too small. Because for that little boy, it wasn't a small thing. That was his lunch or his dinner, and he gave it all. And Jesus did something so much bigger with what he was willing to give to Jesus. Jesus can do big things with the small things that we offer him. And don't we want to experience Jesus doing miracles in our lives? Don't we want to be a part of the ingredients that Jesus can use to be able to do big things in our lives? Don't you want to be a part of that? Now, could Jesus have, could he have done this miracle without those five loaves and two fish? Could he have done that? Could he have done it without the boy giving what he had? Absolutely. He's God. I mean, he created the heavens and the earth, right? I mean, he, he put us together from dust. He created mankind from dust. He could have possibly, he could have just snapped his fingers and said, here's the food you guys eat, enjoy, do all that kind of stuff. But I think what Jesus was teaching the disciples at that point is he was preparing them that he wasn't always going to be here on earth and that this plan to do miracles, to continue to do the miracles, it was through them. It was through you and I. But we have to recognize in order for us to, Jesus, to be able to multiply things. So Jesus was saying, bring you what you think is not enough and let me do something big through it. Now, the principle of what we're talking about today, you can apply this just about in every aspect of your life. Let me give you some examples. Your marriage, you might be thinking, man, my, my marriage is just not very good. You know, it, it, we're just really on some hard times right now. And what do we do? We give excuses for why it is the way it is. We say stuff like, well, if she would just do this or if he would just do that. And I think what God wants us to do is say, you know what? Maybe that's true, but what if we begin to thank God for the love that he's already given us? To give thanks to God and say, God, sure, it's, it's probably not enough to get us to where we want to go, but God, you are the God of more than enough. And I'm trusting in you to multiply our love. This could apply in your finances. This could apply in your relationships. God wants to do big things to the small things that we offer him. Now, here's the cool thing. This is really, really exciting for us here at Oak Ridge. Is coming this fall, you ready for this? This fall, we're about to unveil what the future plans for this church 
looks like here in our Oak Ridge facility, our Oak Ridge location. You guys probably know that we've already purchased a little over 14 acres of land just on the other side of, of 68, right? On the other side there. What's about to happen is we're going to start taking the necessary steps to actually put a building on that property. We're not, you know, we're not in the business to own just property. <laughs> we actually want to put a building over there. And we believe this building is going to allow us to do ministry at an even greater level for us to reach our Northwest community. And we are crazy excited about it. I cannot wait for you to see this building and how it's going to help us facilitate so many great things in this community to continue to show this community that we're for them. But here's the deal. Be honest with you. There's, there's going to be a time when you're going to see that building and you're going to be like, oh, it's so amazing. And it's going to look so big and you're going to go, how in the, how in the world are we ever going to get there? I know you outlined this plan, but what can I possibly do? And for some of you, you're like, man, that's, that's going to cost a lot of money. How can I possibly do anything that will help us get there? And I'm telling you this principle of what we're talking about today is going to be the key for us to get there. It's going to take all of us doing our part, sacrificing, doing what we can do in order for God to do the big things. We're going to thank him for what he's already given us, and we're going to plan for the future. Now, all that's great. That's coming this fall. Today, we want to give you an opportunity to actually apply this principle right here, right today. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to let you out early. Somebody said, amen, hallelujah, it's awesome. We're going to let you out a little early today. We're not letting you out early so you can go uh, get lunch early. We're actually going to let you out early so that you can apply what we're talking about. Because here's the deal. I don't know if you've noticed right now, I don't know if you watch TV, but right now I've already started seeing these commercials start coming up. This politics for, you know, there's a uh, mid-year election coming up or mid-time election coming up here uh, this fall. And what they're doing, politicians are doing, is they're trying to convince you that everything that's wrong with our school systems. Have you seen these commercials? Here's what's all broken about our public education. And for whatever reason, they think they have the solution to fix the problem. Can I be honest with you what the solution is? It's the church being the church in our schools. That's when the school systems will get fixed. That's when things will start to be addressed. And we're not going to be the church that takes a back seat to this. We do this every year. We're going to do it again this year. We're going to do this thing called back our schools. It's when the teachers are getting ready to come back. We want these teachers to come back knowing that there's a group of people that's behind them. All this other world can say whatever they want to say about what's wrong and how they're against this and they're against this. We want this school to know that we are for you. Now, you would say, man, that's a, that's a big problem, Andy. How in the world is the church ever going to tackle that problem? We're going to put one step in front of the other, and we're going to start doing something. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do here in just a few minutes. We're going to ask you to go out, and you're going to have a chance to put together a bag that's been personalized for a specific teacher, either here at Oak Ridge Elementary or up in Stokesdale. We're going to do all kinds of great things for all of our Northwest schools, but we picked these two because these are the two that we have the most influence with right now. And you're going to put together a bag that's personalized for a specific teacher. And then there's going to be a card that goes with that bag that has the teacher's name on it that you're creating this bag for. And we're going to ask you to commit to pray for that teacher all year long. Now you think, really, is that, is that all we're going to do? How in the world is that going to make such a big difference? Let me, let me explain how this is going to make a huge difference. So we did this last year. We gave everybody a little car with a teacher's name on it. And sometime over the winter, um, there was a teacher here at Oak Ridge Elementary who was over in Greensboro. And she was driving her car and whatever, I don't, I'm not sure what happened, but her car broke down. She was having some tr trouble with her car. 
She had to pull off on the side of the road, could not get it to start back up. It wasn't able to do anything. wasn't able to get her car going. And she had to call an Uber driver, okay? Everybody probably done Uber at some point, right? So she called the gentleman, and the gentleman come and picked her up. And here's the story that we got to hear about, is that in small talk, this teacher and this Uber driver, they're talking and just kind of get to know each other. And, uh, you know, like, so what's your name? What do you do, right? The lady in the back said, well, I'm actually a teacher. And he goes, oh, that's really cool. said, uh, what school do you teach at? And uh, she said, well, I teach over at Oak Ridge Elementary. I don't know if you know where that's at, but it's, it's north of uh, the airport up on 68. And the driver said, what did you say your name was again? She told him. And he said, I've been praying for you all year long. He said, I go to the Summit Church, and every year we do this thing called Backer Schools. And I put together a bag for you. And I committed that I was going to pray for you. So I, I just want you to know, I don't know what you're going through, but I've been praying for you, and I'm going to continue to pray for you. That this church is for you, that we're behind you. And this teacher came in and was telling my wife this story. My wife just happens to teach here at the school, so we get to hear a lot of these stories. really cool about what you're doing and how you're making a difference. And this teacher told my wife that she was telling the story. She was so excited, and she said, you have no idea how much I needed to hear that there was somebody who was praying for me. I don't know the circumstances of that teacher. Maybe she was having a moment where she was discouraged and just felt like she wasn't making a difference. But this gentleman was able to say, you are making a difference, and I'm praying for you to continue to make that difference. So I want to challenge you. As you think something is just a small thing in the grand scheme of things, would you not, not minimize what God can do through the small things if we're willing to offer it to him? God is the God of miracles who can do big things through the small things that we give him. And we're going to be that type of church. So I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to sing a song that's going to kind of wrap up. It's kind of been the anthem of this whole series, a song called Miracles. And then after we get done with that, we're going to go apply this principle today. So Father, thank you. God, thank you for this series. Thank you for how we have had the incredible opportunity to learn from your miracles. God, thank you that you are the same God that you have been since the beginning of time. That God, you are still the same God who is doing miracles. And God, it's just possible that you may choose to do a miracle through us. God, I believe the, the ingredients for the miracle is most of the time right where we're at. But God, we must recognize what you have given us. We must give thanks for it, God. We must stop making excuses. And we must offer it back to you. So Father, today, as we do this small thing to be able to encourage the teachers here in our Northwest community, God, may you take it and may you multiply it in the hearts of these teachers, but they know that there's a group of people that love them, that are for them, that are not against them, that we want to do everything in our power to encourage them, to give them the tools that they need to resource them in whatever way possible to do the things that God has called them to do. So Father, help us multiply what we offer back to you. And it's in Jesus' name, amen.